The Legendarium Podcast is sponsored by Audible, the world's leading source of audiobooks. Follow along with our current series or enjoy some of the classics by visiting thelegendariumpodcast.com where you can sign up for your free trial membership. Click the sponsor link on our website for a free audiobook. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig, Ryan, and Todd are discussing Queen of Sorcery. It's book two in the Belgariad. Hope you've been following along. Even if you hadn't, I think you'll have a good time with this one. Yes, it is the Legendarium Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I am Craig Hanks. And if the two people sitting in this room with me start beatboxing, I am going to lose my mind. If only you could have heard the five minutes before we came in. Oh, it was glorious. Todd we could do it again. Todd laid a great bass line. And just stop talking. It, just it, stop. It was good. It was, it was awesome. I've got... He's just jealous. My two cohorts with me here today. Now, of course, uh, when there's something strange in your neighborhood, it's probably Todd Wenty. Hey. There, there we go. And he sleeps under night. He sleeps every night in a blanket woven from his own sock lint. It's Ryan Bruckman. It took me quite a few years to make that. All right, you guys. So, Good thing you didn't make your wife make that. Oh, yeah. She wouldn't even touch it. Today, uh, we are... This is going to be the second installment of our Belgariad series. Uh, so this is talking about book two, Queen of Sorcery. Or if this were... A Tolkien book, uh, it would just be like volume two of a one book thing, right? I mean, this is what I'm discovering here is that these are not separate works. This is all just one big story. Mm -hmm. It's kind of uh, arbitrarily divided into little chunks. These do not stand alone. No. Which is why we refer to this as the Belgariad more Mm -hmm. often than by their individual books because it's a full series piece. Correct. Which I wasn't necessarily prepared for, but now I am. Uh, anyway, so yeah, let's uh, get started talking about it now. As you know, if you listen to uh, the first one, this is Ryan's baby. So I'm going to turn this over to you. All right, and as always, we're going to start by recounting what has occurred so far. So for those of you who have not finished reading, uh, you may want to pause for a minute, finish the book, and then come back in to make sure I don't spoil anything for you, which is not likely to happen anyway. But anyway. So we resume our story with another prologue regarding the war Torak waged in an attempt to claim the Orb of Aldur. The tale recounts the battle between Bran, the Warder of Riva, and Torak One-Eye. The short version, the good guy's losing, he reveals the orb on the shield, then stabs God in the face while he's distracted by the bright light. More or less. Torak goes to sleep until the prophecy is ready to be fulfilled. That was awesome. You're welcome. Now we jump forward in time again and resume the journey with our intrepid heroes from the last book who have arrived in Arendia. Now, you might want to pull out your map. Oh, my gosh. To be able to keep track of where they've been. Which map? And where they're going. Because they have multiple maps inside of, you know, here's Arendia's map, here's Nyssa's map and everything. So you might want to pull that up. And uh, immediately we're introduced to uh, another name for Ken and the rest of us to try and remember, an archer and young nobleman named Leldorin who will then, a few chapters later, be left behind with people he doesn't like due to injury. (laughs) We also add uh, Mandarellen, the greatest knight in all the realm, who pretty much solves everything with a trial by combat. (sighs) And that is Todd's man crush sigh for fantasy characters. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's weird, man. It's weird. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, once they reach their destination of Vomimbre, Garion does his thing again by revealing a plot to kill the king. Oh, my gosh. Which he happened to learn from Leldurin. And Mandarellen does his thing by calling for a trial by combat. Aha. Uh-huh. Which ends in a very amazing fight sequence and permanently cements Hetar in the category of great badass warriors in fantasy literature. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Complete with a uh, little uh, top-knot ponytail, right? Yes. Yep. So upon leaving Vomimbre, they find themselves with an unintended new member, the Princess Sinedra, who attempts to hide her, I- her identity from them but fails miserably. I'm a princess. Yes, you are, Todd. They agree to take her to the Queen of the Dryads for sanctuary <laughs> since it's on their way to hunt down Zedar the Apostate, but the Queen denies her and they have to leave the forest, or, and then when they leave the forest, they are attacked by Asherak and a bunch of legionnaires. Asherak slaps Polgari in the face, and Garion, in response, gives the greatest retaliatory slap in the history of slaps. <laughs> it's the kind that incinerates the recipient and gives us our first real view of Garion's power as a sorcerer. That was pretty awesome. Right? Yeah, it was. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Of course. So then they journey together to a swampy land of Nyissa, and Garion uses his powers in an attempt to save a slave, which gets him noticed and then subsequently kidnapped, drugged, and almost made into a love slave of the Queen Salmisra, all after having a major fight with her aunt, with his aunt Polgara. He's then rescued by his aunt and Beric, and then reconciles with his aunt, who recently turned somebody into a snake for eternity. And that's where we were left off. Pretty much, yeah. That's, that's a pretty a good that's that, good recap. I'm, I'm, I'm it impressed. only took you Thank about you. two and a half minutes. So. I felt pretty I felt pretty good about that there. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good recap. <laughs> no, that was good. Um and, and I want to come back to the dryads. That's another thing. And not a word of that was stolen from Wikipedia. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, seriously. You're That's welcome. the worst. Todd. <laughs> All right. Uh, that yeah. was just an author's background. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go on, Ryan. All right. So first things first, guys. We've got, some, we've got some new people, some new places, and some new story stuff. But let's just get this out of our system. There were some awesome moments in this some you know, great punching that wasn't existing in the first book. I'm so sad that Ken is not able to be with us right now to just gush because my man my man crush may be on Mandar Allen but Ken's man crush is on any punching that happens in this book and there's a lot of it to go around yeah I'd say Ken would be all over Hetar and Barrack. oh yeah right yeah. Now, Mandarellen, he's no slouch. He loves to get in a good scrap as well. So, uh, no, it, this was a good one. I, the first book, I think, like I mentioned last time, even though I was very engaged, there's a lot of character development uh, and and quite a bit of movement in the second half of the book. There's not a lot of action. No. Nothing's happening. There's just a lot of talking about stuff that could be happening in upcoming books. And this, this is where, you know, I, I feel like we haven't even – you know, the the volcano hasn't even erupted, even though that's exactly what happened in Nyessa, I suppose. But, you know, there, at there's the very a, end of this book, the volcano literally exactly. erupts. Yeah, so that was a really bad way to put it. But, yeah, there's a lot more to come, I feel like. But at least in this, we got some violent payoff. So, yeah. That violent was, payoff. That's nicely said. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I think there's absolutely, you know, in the first, we've, we've got a lot of setup, a lot of great moments to get us in, to care about these people as they go on their journey and a few little battle things here and there, not much, but in this one, we finally get to go, Oh wow. These are really, these people are very skilled at what they do. And it happens. Um, it, it, it's not a, it's not a contrived kind of a deal. It doesn't, it doesn't always feel like there are pieces being moved into place and we're watching all of this big stuff start going so that they're going to have to fight their way out of it. Mm -mm. Um, even with the with the first one, it happens just because there happen to be some robbers that are in the area, and oh, look what they do to that group of unsuspecting brigands! Mm. Just amazing that it that it is 
they they do this because this is who they are. This is how they respond to situations that they can't gamble, bargain, or talk their way out of. They'll kill you mm-hmm. without a hesit- without much hesitation. Somebody should talk to Han Solo about that. Except for Dernick. <laughs> Except for Dernick. Dernick is the one it, character. Isn't that, that why they call him Good Man Dernick? No, I don't think so. But I'm. I'm impressed that it you went applies. that way. That's nice. I like that. I like that. It was actually that sequence where they're, the thieves have come to try and you know, do whatever the, they were planning on doing that made me realize something different in this read that I, versus other times that I've read this. Uh, for me, because I read this when I was first, the first time I was much younger, and I read it again fairly recently, a few years, a couple of years ago, I reread it, but it was just kind of a quick zip through. Uh, this time reading through, I have moved my feelings of this series out of the the middling range between young adult and like high fantasy fiction and moved it a little further towards high fantasy than the young adult stuff. I kind of originally felt that this series was a little lower or further down the scale. Um, kind of like Book of Three. We've talked about this in the last one. Yeah, but it yeah, was yeah. A, more along those lines. The more that I read this one, I go, no, absolutely not. This is not like that at all. It's a it's a higher level um, and a lot more things are occurring this that that I guess as a kid I just didn't really pay attention to when the blue entrails fall out of the person's stomach. Yeah, that was really <laughs> something, wasn't it? Oh, that yeah, was he does yucky. not hold back on the violence in this. But it's not overly It's not gratuitous. Well, it's he, real. He doesn't yeah, he doesn't revel necessarily, but he doesn't pull any punches, so to speak. And, That's a good point. And one of the things that I liked about the way that he uh, that he approaches the character's response to the violence is that it feels genuine. Um, My, my, my recollection when I was a kid of the, of the reading was that, wow, there was cool action going through it this time and reading about uh, and reading Dernick's response and reaction to the first time that he is in battle and kills another Mm. human being. Mm -hmm. That was a very, it's a very real kind of a moment um, that I don't think, I'm I'm trying to think. I'm not sure that I've I mean, I don't remember seeing anything like that in The Hobbit. I don't remember seeing anything like that in Lord of the Rings from any of the characters and the character development that they did. This was this was a unique moment, I thought. Um and I liked um Garion's he he sees it happen and he responds to it much more like a youth uh, does and we get that view of it through David Edding's writings, not just not just a scene that's laid out, but all of the things afterwards. Do we bury them? What do we do with the bodies? Mm-hmm. You know, I've never, I don't think in any other fantasy literature I've ever seen, do they deal with the reality? Now, we, now our campsite is littered with corpses. What do we do now? It's generally not uh, something that's visited a lot. I do remember actually. Um, it, we made a point of that in Lord of the Rings when we were running our excessively long podcast series on it. Hey, back off. Um, <laughs> about how excessively entertaining. That's right. There we go. Yeah, probably not. How we all how different the humans and the orcs treated the dead, mm-hmm. and that there was some approach and realization of of the mortality of people. You know that we they take the time to. I, I want to say it was in Two Towers that we were discussing it with the. Horse, the horsey men. <laughs> <laughs> the really? The him. thank you. <laughs> I was just drawing a blank. I know what I was talking about. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I knew that would get to you. 
um, through here, I'm just dealing with their people. And I think yeah, it's an accurate point that it's, it is nice to see in, in some fantasy literature dealing with the effects of having to take violent action mm-hmm. and the effect it can have on someone. And not only with Dernick, we see it, we get a touch of it with Dernick when he has to kill someone. Later on, when Garion mm-hmm. incinerates Asherak or, or Kamdar. I, I guess we'd better bury him. It's like, so what, what are we going to do? Well, I, I mean, I guess we'd better bury this guy who was our mortal enemy and chased us through five kingdoms. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'll, I'll go get the spade. <laughs> <laughs> right? Isn't that what he somebody much, said yeah, that? Yeah, was it Dernick? Yeah. Yeah, Dernick says that. But we I mean we get to visit it from two very different approaches and we get to see Garion's viewpoint of it. Um and it's something that we can take and look into, you know, our own humanity and in, in dealing with what happens when you're pushed to doing something that you are not normally comfortable doing. Uh for them specifically we're dealing with they've had to kill. Uh, but it could be a very uh, a few other variations for each of us, and dealing with that on the you know on our the human aspect of it. Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head of that I've had to go through. That's like, well, that pushed me beyond my my limits. Uh, you know, that made me question my humanity and my whether I'm a good person <laughs> or not or a bad person. I'm fairly certain I'm a bad person, but um, I, th- yeah, I, I'm okay. very jokes, appreciative. Jokes, jokes, jokes. Okay. Um, my point would be <laughs> skipping past the jokes that we all knew were coming. Um, when I, uh, for those who don't know, I was a missionary in France for a couple years. And when I got back, um, I would tell people all the time. In fact, I remember very clearly it came up in a job interview for a, a job in sales. And the guy says, uh, you know, are you going to be comfortable talking to strangers about, you know, products and services and blah, blah, blah. I said, listen, I, for two years, I tried to talk to Europeans about Jesus. I can do anything like that's, that's tough, mm-hmm. you know? So and was that the equivalent of, you know, slaughtering a group of thieves? No. Okay. No, it's not. But you're talking about stretching your, your horizons or expanding your horizons, I guess would be the appropriate way to say it. Um, shifting your paradigm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want to get really cliche about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, we all run into things like that, and if you if you let it, it'll change you for the better. At, with without going into details, um, I have had one of those experiences where the, did you shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die? Without going into <laughs> without going into the specifics, um, I came away from I came away from an experience, and I said, "What did I do? What, how, how did I get here? How did I get to this?" particular spot and this particular set of circumstances where I thought I was doing all of the right things for all of the right reasons and wasn't uh, quite frankly, wasn't quite sure uh, in that particular moment in time. And the, 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 the moment of reflection, the, the, the moment of reflection that comes immediately after that kind of an experience, I think that David Eddings does a wonderful job of portraying just how profoundly it causes you to question everything about who you are and whether or not you are who you th- who you who you thought you were and, and whether or not you're capable of being redeemed especially at the age of 16 well yeah you know you're and 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 having had so much the i think one of the things that's really interesting about this is that not only is he now questioning he he's questioned his view of the world he's questioned his view of his aunt he's questioned his view of uh, these people that are showing up, who's good, who's bad, who's worth hanging around. 
Um, now he has to question his view of himself. Um, and I think while pretty much everybody does that during their teenage years to some extent, um, the, it, Garion as a as a character, as a, as an everyman character, is being pushed to the extremes for all of us. And I I like the way that David Eddings does that, but then surrounds him with people who can help fill in those pieces to say, yes, your innocence is gone. It has been taken away. But now let us talk to you about the informed pieces that go in place of that innocence. I think one of the key things you're, that you brought up there is that there are people around him to help him work through this. Polgara. Woo! Favorite character. Really? Polgara. Yeah. Love Polgara. Huh. So we also have... I like Polgara. I tend to notice that in a lot of, uh, a lot of literature, uh, great literature, everything, a lot of these characters like Garion who are in this time of their life, when they hit these moments, they get broody and whiny and you get fifth book <laughs> Harry Potter. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Fifth and with, sixth. Well, where he just gets to be irritated a, with everybody. And, and a little bit of seventh. Yeah. And and it gets, for the reader, for us, dealing with those people and dealing with that, it just gets tiresome. Thankfully, David Eddings does not let us sit in that very long with, with Gary in, in this book because he introduces characters to him. Uh, I mean, we already have Polgara, like you said, but we introduce this new character, Sinedra. <laughs> that is... Bit of an enigma at this point, at the end of this book. A little bit. <laughs> but because of her attitude and her, the way she deals with Garion, he's not allowed to wallow in self-pity because she's too self-important or just, she just calls him out on it. She's his, you know, this, perp- this BS meter for him. And I think it's interesting, these new characters that we've brought in, and I, I, we start, I'm gonna, I'll start with Sinedra, even though timeline-wise she's the last to enter the party. Yeah. The, the, what the new characters have brought to the story so far. So we start with Princess Sinedra. What do... She's a spoiled brat. Mm-hmm. She is a princess who's had everything handed to her, and now she's taking off to join this journey because she doesn't want to be stuck at home anymore. She lied to get out. She escaped. And now <laughs> she's getting a lesson on how to be a good human being from Polgara and the people around her. And the way she interacts with Garion changes him. And there's a reason for that, which we'll get to later. But I don't know. From is there anything about Sinedra that has stood out to you guys that has made her an interesting character or a, or an irritating character to you? Well, I mean, she starts off as intentionally irritating, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're not supposed to really like her yet, right? Uh, when we meet her, uh, yeah. But so there was one thing about Sinedra that was jarring it was very jarring to me it was a moment uh right at the bitter end of the story when he's still wallowing in that self-pity um and it's actually it's a very wise quote i I really like the quote a lot but the fact that it came from sinedra was a little bit like huh really she said that to him and uh he's he's freaking out because of all this power that he has you know who knows I'm, i'm a monster i'm a danger to everyone around me um and uh, he says, I can make things happen, awful things, usually. So, she said madden- maddeningly, I can make awful things happen, too. Or at least I could, back in Tolhoneth. One word from me could have sent a servant to the whipping post, or to the headsman's... Head- no, <laughs> I can't even say the word. Or to the headsman's block. I didn't do it, of course, but I could have. Power is power. The results are the same. You don't have to hurt people if you don't want to. 
um power is power you know and and he's so he's feeling like oh gosh i'm you know i'm alone in the world nobody understands what i'm going through and she's like no i mean i I know what you're going through i've had to deal with this uh and I, i so i thought they were very wise words and something that that made me stop and go oh okay yeah it's we we use the word magic powers or whatever but really power is power it's the same thing uh but the fact that it came from her made me go really so there, there's you know, two I'm ways not sure i think there's two ways you can look at that you can either say a it came from her and it doesn't fit coming from her or you can say that maybe there is more to her or her character is developing yeah. enough that she's figuring some things out I don't know. That's I yeah. like to think the best of I'm, her. I'm so. hoping she's figuring some stuff out, but at that moment, there there wasn't enough of a build up to to that for me to be like, oh, okay, yeah, she's super wise, so that makes total sense. One of the things that I think is really that that David Eddings is doing a wonderful job with is he's he's talking about the, and again here I go thinking about social strata and all those kinds of things, but he he does a wonderful Communist. job. Thank you. Um, I and there I was playing the. Uh, magnificent Monty Python section <laughs> section in my head when an arco cynicalist commune. Um, he he talks a lot about how these people from different places in society don't really see other people in different pl- parts of society. I th- and and when I when I have that moment from Sinedra when I first encountered it, I was kind of like, yeah, little brat, you thought you were so powerful, blah blah blah. But I look at it now and I'm kind of like, you know what? She's developed in ways and developed understanding of things that were going on differently because she was in a different place. And Garion has never had power. And so for him, dealing with power, this is a new thing. For her, this is something she's dealt with all her life. We see that different people mature at different situations because of the circumstances that they find themselves in in life. She's useless as a member of the party for quite some time um, and starts to come into her own. Let's emphasize the word starts. But but as she goes through that, it doesn't mean that she doesn't have things to offer this party. And I think each one of these characters, while while she is to me the most annoying and grating of all of the characters at this point in time, she does grow on me. I I I like her. Seeing her here, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what she was like. Because um, I remember her very differently. Yeah, she tends to be a bit different by the time you finish the series. Wait until book five. There is uh, there's actually that brought to mind. Uh, there's a moment where I think. We get a chance to see why she might be able to grow inside this group mm-hmm. more so than others. And uh, it's after she is revealed as who she is. <laughs> Polgara turns to her and, and calls her foolish, basically. And she responds. She says, how dare you speak to me like that? You seem to forget who I am. Young lady, Silk said urbanely. I think you'd be amazed at how little Polgara is concerned about who you are. Polgara? Sinedra faltered. The Polgara? I thought you said that she was your sister. I lied. Silk confessed. It's a vice I have. <laughs> love that guy. Oh, I love Silk. Goes through. And then Ann Pohl points out he's Prince Keldar of Drasnia and kind of lists the titles of everybody there. And uh, I'm trying to find the exact word she uses here. Uh, this is good radio. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I know. You're welcome. <laughs> there it is. She, uh, she says, uh, he's Prince Keldar of Drasnia. The others have similar eminence. I'm sure you can see how little your title impresses us. We have our own titles, so we know how empty they are. <laughs> it's a great moment to to immediately kind of put her on the same playing ground with these others and say, hey, look, yeah, we know you had a title. We all have them too. 
and we know that they mean nothing, and you need to learn that too really quick. Now, something else Todd brought up about people being able to don't ever always see people in different groups uh, the same way or don't even get to really see them and interact with them. That really stands true in the land of Arendia, mm-hmm. where Leldoran is from. And that's, you know, further in the front of the book, we get to dealing with Leldoran and Garion. As they're going along, they, the, this, the land is set up in a very feudal setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are that's lords exactly and what serfs. It yes. And this, they, this is England. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. In the 10th century. And maybe and the maybe a little later, currently. Eh. Anyway, <laughs> some but what were you saying? I, I, I want to come back to that idea. Anyway, well, that's I'm, I'm bringing up the fact that so we have we have two things that we draw from the time in Arendia's. One is the relationship between Garion and Leldoran. It evolves as Garion tries to show to Leldoran the people that he's seeing with his eyes, but not seeing at all, because as far as Leldoran con- is concerned, they're, they're serfs. Part of the landscape. Yeah, they're serfs. You don't, don't you understand Garion? They're serfs. This is what they do. This is what they are. Right. This is the way things have been and always will be. And Forever and forever. And ever shall be. Position and positioning. Okay. Ten points to anybody out there who can name the show that that is from. And somebody is typing madly onto our Facebook page right now. It has to go onto the Facebook page, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Society for the Protection. What is it uh, spew that Hermione creates? (laughs) That's what this reminds me of. Society for the Protection. They're they're house elves. They're, They're house elves. That's... Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm just pointing out that we see that this is a theme that's come up in other stuff. It will, and yeah. and it does. Yeah, it's a great one. It's a great one. And hey, look, look and see. Don't just look. And it's a common. You can you can place it inside common stuff that we deal with today. Uh, groups and in a, in a day and age that we live in, where everybody has a cause and everybody has oh. uh, an identity with different people. There's plenty that you're not seeing. It's exhausting, isn't it? There's plenty that we don't <laughs> see and plenty that we wish we didn't see and plenty that we should be more aware of and plenty that's gotten way too much airtime. But the fact is this is this is although maybe not necessarily societally that's not even the right word I'm looking for. It's a great word though. Thank you. What, whatever your context was. Ladies and gentlemen, please submit that to Webster's dictionary. Ryan coined the term societally. societally. I, that's a word. Sure. It just felt weird coming out. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Boy, it, we're good at this, you guys. I know. This is this is high quality. So even though it's not necessarily class levels that we're dealing with in terms of as like lords and serfs, we do have things like that that we're dealing with today we that we can do. look at. Yeah. That we can look at and, just, and recognize some similarities. Well, and anybody who thinks that we operate on something other than a class system isn't really seeing. Hasn't walked through a downtown area yeah. ever. Um. Uh, oh, and that brings up an interesting quote that I had uh, because when Leldoran, I I've always pronounced it Leldoran. That's fine. Uh, yeah. Until we get uh, until we get a Matthew? pronunciation guide. I can't remember the the gentleman that we have. We have someone who wrote. A, oh yeah, a, yeah, yeah. We'll talk to him. Um. Anyway, we'll a, I always thought it was Leldoran. Okay, well, Leldoran. He fi- Garion finally points out that hey, by the way, those are people, not cattle you know they're they're serfs yeah but they are people with real feelings and real lives and Leldoran has this kind of crisis of conscience and he's really distraught about this um and he he declares suddenly i'll renounce my rank (laughs) and when i return from this quest i'll go among the serfs and share their lives their sorrows and then there's a great great line that garion delivers to him he says 
what good will that do? How would your suffering in any way make theirs less? Right. And this is a lesson I wish we could learn today. Oh, it it drives me crazy. It just seems like every time there's a new victim out there, people think, well, instead of raising them up and helping them fix their problems, let's make sure everybody else has the same problems. That'll fix the situation. There's your equality. Oh, it drives me nuts. And so I, I saw that and underlined it. Great line. Blah, blah, blah. Soapbox. Had, uh, hashtag I'm awesome. Out. If he had a microphone right now, ladies and gentlemen, in his hand, he would drop it. That's probably not true. Please forward all angry political rants to the legendary podcast at gmail.com <laughs> with the subject line, this is for Craig only. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's chat for a second Sorry. about uh, Leldorin or Leldorin and the type of character he is because everybody has been di- – every character has been different. They've all represented something or, or been something unique uh, to the group. And with Leldrin, we get, first of all, skill set. We now have an archer. Yes. Which he has some cool moments in the fighting, which oh, yeah. hopefully. And that first fight was way cool. Yeah. I'm really hoping that we can get, we, Ken isn't here right now, but we're hoping to get a, uh, an, a segment from him regarding the, uh, the excessive punching in here. Yeah, we'll see. So we'll see. <laughs> hopefully he, uh, we have that to put as an addendum to this. Hey everyone, I'm Ken Johnson. Welcome to Ken's Punch and Corner. If you're following along, this week we're talking about Queen of Prophecy, book two in David Edding's Belgariad series. As we discussed on the review for Pawn of Prophecy, there wasn't much in the way of stab-stab activity in the first book, and man, does this book make up for it. The gang gets into it early and often, and the action comes fast. The gang is jumped by bandits, chased by troll-like Algaroths, there's a massacre in the Arendia throne room, and we get to see Hetar mow down Murgos like, as is referenced in the book, he's trying to single-handedly cleanse the world of the Murgo population, and that's just in the first hundred pages. The entire book is red meat for the level one mind, and it is outstandingly written. My favorite part of the punch in Eddings gives everyone their unique fighting style, and you can actually visualize each one of them and just how awesome they are as they're fighting. Beric is a gigantic barbarian who uses brute force and may or may not be able to transform into an actual bear. Silk is slick, he's acrobatic and deadly with daggers of every kind. Hatara is a ninja, and he's probably the most wicked of all the Wrecking Crew, and man, does he kick some serious butt. And Mandoralin, of course, or Mandoralin, however you'd like to say it, he's your typical knight, complete with chivalry, decorum, and a lot of great sword and board fighting action. And there's a chapter early in the book where he honor stomps through an entire battlefield with the aid of jousting lance, and it's just fun. Overall, this book offers up some outstanding punching. I'm really looking forward to where this series is going, but I can imagine it's going to be good. Can't wait to get back with the guys on the Legendarium podcast and talk with the Brain Trust, see where this Belgariad series is going. But man, it is exciting, and I hope you're following along and enjoying following along with us. This has been Ken's Punching Corner. We'll talk to you next time, and punch on! Lildren, skill set-wise, we get an archer that we add in and we also get a character who is all about who at the time that he's introduced we think is all about honor and and valor and you know taking doing on, the right thing doing the right thing yeah, yeah. Mandarellen and well, or Leldoran no, Leldoran Le- first Leldorin. and then Leldorin. he gets showed up by Mandarellen when yeah. he shows up later <laughs> there is a man who if and, you wanted to pin a boy scout you know, isn't that I, isn't that really cool? I I really enjoyed that because Leldoran he uh, like you say he's all about honor and and glory and being a good person and all that taking action and he hates the membrates 
He, yes. he just he thinks that they are the absolute antithesis to everything that he stands for and how dare they suppress my people and blah, blah, blah. And then we meet the uh, the embodiment of all that is Membrate, and that's Mandarallan. Baron of Vomandor. And, and what <laughs> what's his thing? It's the exact same thing as Lodoran, just with a little more flowery language and, you know, times three or four. I know it's not what thou dost talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love reading him. <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, I thought that was really great. It's um, it, it was one more way to say, you know, take a little closer look at those you hate. There may be reasons to hate them, but they may be a little more like you than you, than you give them credit for. You know, in fact, I think one of the things that, that happens for people – the the things that bother us most about others are often things that flaws that we see in ourselves that we wish we, we could eradicate. Um, and I, I'm thinking of like eight for you right now, Todd. Um, yes, thank yeah. you, Craig, for confessing all eight of those about you. Um, Yours is only eight. I've known him longer. <laughs> <laughs> we but but we do we have a we have a tendency to uh, to sometimes identify and and vilify things in others that really exist in us in equal parts. Um, just perhaps that we choose to, to focus them differently and we say, oh, well, it's not so bad in me because I'm doing it for good reasons. Uh, it's a fascinating little – in psychology, we call it the fundamental attribution error, and it's really fun. And, he, and David Eddings does a wonderful job of laying it out. I'm frequently misunderstood, Mander Allen said. As long as I know that my motives are good, however, I'm seldom very concerned with the opinions of others. That's a that's a good line. It is. And he's a character that you come to appreciate more. And this idea that we've that you were just talking about, there's another character in this that we haven't talked about a lot who fits this but in a different way, and that's Hetar. Yes. Hetar hates someone for with a good a hate, reason. With a hate beyond hating. But it is not the same as the way that these two the way that Leldurin and Mandarallans groups dislike each other. Mm-mm. Hetar hates the Murgos to the point where people have to physically restrain him whenever he sees one. Hetar's hate is personal. Mandarellen and Leldoran's hate is principled. It's about ideologies. It's, it, it's about a concept of right and wrong that somehow they were wronged, but it's way back in history and it's not necessarily really happening now, although mm-hmm. the pieces that are in, in place can perpetuate it. But with Hetar, it's personal. Mm-hmm. Very personal, and that changes. That that has a result of changing how he deals with everything uh, in life. I think, and that is that is one of the things that is just um, to the point where where he relates better to the animals than he does to the rest of the uh, to the other human beings in the group. Mm-hmm. Really, when I when I when when Hetar is first introduced for me, I'm kind of like whoa. He's intense. He's he's the one that you don't. Do you remember uh, Jack Palance and in, um, in City Slickers when he first comes out? Yeah. And they, and everybody looks at him and they're like, "Curly, did you kill anybody? Day ain't over yet." You know, kind of a deal. And you, <laughs> you just have this feeling that he really he he really is somebody that you want on your side, but you don't want to stand too close to him ever. He's a bad man. Uh, really, really, and the the moment that we get when they're when Garion is riding with Hatar and Hatar describes where this hatred came from, it's a very sobering moment for. I think it's a it's intended to be a sobering moment for Garion, but it's also a very sobering moment for me as a as a reader to say what would have you know what what really would I respond 
if I if I were forced to come to to grips with this kind of grief and loss and um, despicableness, how would I maintain my humanity? Um, it's a really it's a really powerful question, I think. And David Eddings poses it through this character of Hatar. What do you do with it? How do you maintain any kind of ability to keep moving? Hatar's way of keeping moving was killing Murgos. So and. Mm- Learning to speak telepathically to horses. I mean, that'll just come in handy for anybody, really. It's a great party trick. It really is. Especially in that time frame. Okay. The moment when Beric goes to get on a horse. <laughs> so I think it's interesting. You know, we've talked about uh, kind of Arendia and that feudal lifestyle and, and the differences that are that are there. Uh, then we progress in and we get to Tol Nedra, mm-hmm. which is a totally different area uh, on its own um, in terms of how that they handle things. That's a... It is um, the greed capital of the world. Can I can I just uh, can I just say okay we've gone from we went from uh, Sindar which was like I don't know Scotland or something like that. Yeah, I would have called it the Highlands. And and then we go or is it Sindaria? Sorry, Sindaria. The... Yeah, um, and then we go to uh, Scandinavia. We hit mm-hmm. England. Now we're in Rome. We're about to go down to Egypt. Like it, these are all very recognizable cultures. And peoples, if you paid attention in AP World History, apparently yeah, they yeah. are, they are, and and in in including the way that they accoutrement themselves, right? Well, that's what that's some of the dead giveaways. Uh, when we get to Nyssa, the people they shave themselves completely, they they adorn their eyes elaborately. Um, was there? There's crocodiles and there's storms and there's, and there's you know. Anyway, it's swamps and the rivers. And yeah. 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 It's all very, very familiar. And Hatar as a horseman, um, I, I look at that and I say, oh, OK, I know where this one's coming from. Right. Um, and, and I guess there's a, actually a couple of directions you could take it from. But it but it certainly smacks very much of the Mongols. Mongols. Exactly. Um, the way he's described, I think of Attila the Hun. Yes. He's got this long black knot. ponytail coming off of this scalp yeah. that he's got. Yeah. Anyway, Tolnedra. Yeah. So uh, we're into Tolnedra. Rome. And it's, I think it's a very apt description of this area. And we don't need to spend a lot of time about the politics of, of Tolnedra because we understand that. It's what happens when they leave there that we want to talk about. And you actually said you wanted to bring this up because Ooh. we go into the forest. The dryads. Okay. The dryads. I'm really excited about this part. First of all, uh, there's there's the part when they walk into the forest of the dryads. Nobody knows what the dryads are, including the reader. You're like, oh, this is, you know, it's all very mysterious. Um this is a curious place, Mender Allen said, looking around a bit uncomfortably. Methinks I feel a presence here, a presence not altogether friendly. The wood is alive, Sinedra told him. It doesn't really like strangers. Straight out of Tolkien. I mean, straight out of Tolkien, <laughs> word for word almost, right? Am I, I'm not crazy here. I mean, I know I tend to see parallels where other people don't because I'm completely obsessed. I get that. But, uh... But this is a thing in fantasy, you know, angry forests. Yes. Um, but, okay, that being said, you know, that, that and made And in me... really poorly made environmentally friendly <laughs> 80s films. <laughs> right. Um, so that being said, we go into the forest, we meet these dryads, and I loved this portion. I loved it so much because so much of what we've done so far in this fantasy book has been, a, it's a little bit like watching Game of Thrones where it's a fantasy, but really it's just kind of a soap opera. 
Um, and what we've been doing so far is a lot of traveling among, like we just talked about, places that are very recognizable with characters that are very recognizable. And, human characters. Yeah, human characters. And now finally there's this really mysterious and magical place with these creatures who are, are very uh, you know, unpredictable, uh, very mysterious, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I love stuff like that. <laughs> so while the other stuff... Um, I think he delivers a lot of great uh, political and philosophical uh, points very well through the characters. I like now that we're getting into the fantasy and we're about to get into a lot more mag- magic as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. But yes, this is great creatures and, and, and new places and types of things. Yeah, And I don't it. think that it's entirely coincidental that as we enter a realm with more of that more magical creatures and everything, we also start to enter more magic with Garion. Yeah, exactly. And we start to get more... Yeah. Dealing with this, like you said, you're right. From the beginning up till now, we've dealt with a lot of very human things. And now we're getting to play with some fun things. Because right when they come out of the forest, what what happens? Uh, yeah, he, he burns the slap that, the slap that burns the, the, Ashrak. I was uh, looking for the slap that heard around the world, but it's not quite that good. <laughs> no. uh, well, it was if you read the book, at least magically. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Magically it was. Huh? So I, Actually, te- <clears throat> Thought, a thought just occurred to me. He finds out uh, it's revealed at this point in the story that Sinedra is a dryad, or at mm-hmm. least a, a, a sort of cousin of the dryads. She's kind of descended from dryads, mm-hmm. right? The, the dryad bloodline has carries through the women of the Tolnedrin and, Empire. And uh, so they're very magical creatures. Do you think there's anything to the idea that as he and she get a little more acquainted, he becomes more attuned to that magical side of himself. Is there something to that? You guys are giving me a look. Do you remember when you used to say, just wait until book three? Yeah. Okay. I I think you're not far from the truth there. Um, (laughs) It's the best way I can put that. But the fact is, is we do have... I'm so good at this, you guys. I'm like the smartest person ever, ever. The other thing I that we have, I, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> the other thing that we have that I'm that I'm I think will maybe de- not entirely derail that, but a little bit is the fact that Garion and the voice in his head. Oh man, I need to know who that is. <laughs> the voice in his head is what is really driving him right now magically. Yeah, necessity and this voice that now is telling him and showing him how to do it. Speaking of, it, we're running low oh, on it, time here, so <gasps> let's get to the point where do you think he's it's in, Christopher Walken. That's whose voice I would want in my head. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Garion. No, just look don't, at your even, blood. Don't, don't even do it. Look don't at your it. blood. Make it look like this. No, wow. that, was, that was not even good. Fine. <laughs> so Fine. If, if we're running out of time, I need to, I, are we going to talk about Mander Allen at all? We've, we've, dre- we've, we've jumped around him. Are we going to talk about Mander Allen at all? Okay, let's let, let's finish up here really quick, and then we will open up the floor to allow you to hit – to not hit Mandarellen. <laughs> we got to finish up some things in the story here. They leave the, the, the what are the dryads? We burn Ashrak. And then we end up in Egypt. You know, we end yep. up with, in the land of Nyissa, mm-hmm. where we get this new group of people who are worshiping the serpents. And we get the first appearance of an actual god in the story. Oh, yeah, that was great. We get the god Issa is summoned down um, in a moment between. Uh, between Polgara and Queen Salmisra, which, by the way, that'll, I'll say that for my final piece to bring up with you guys. We get the introduction that these gods can become, they can interact with this world. Mm-hmm. They have the ability to be present, sort of. And 
that may be something to be aware of as we go down in the future, down the road, that the gods are not as hands-off as they may have been purported to be. Right. So, Or at least they are no longer going to be as hands-off, perhaps. That's a good point. Yeah. Say that. Yeah. So Mandarellen. Yeah. So Todd, uh, <sighs> if uh, there was an eHarmony profile for Mandarellen, what would it look like? It would be filled with swords, gleaming iron, uh, magnificent. This is, <laughs> this is gross. <laughs> well, I don't know where you were going. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about magnificent sets of I armor. Know, and I know what you're thinking. You of. know, um, when when I read this first, and every time since then, I want Mandarellen to burst into song and sing Camelot at the top of his lungs. <laughs> I really do. It feels and and I think we as a I, I think David Eddings. Uh, does that intentionally? I think he is very much uh, in in the in the frame of Sir Lancelot. Oh, as, I was going for Galahad. Oh no, this is this, this is, is absolutely Lancelot. Okay. Um, There's even the love story with oh, Lancelot. Okay. That I haven't even got there yet. But he does it right. Oh, yes, have? you have. Oh, that's true. I yes. forgot about with that. The He's in love with the queen. Okay, which um, someone else is that way too. But it's a little different story there. Yeah, it winds up being a little different. That's because Mandarellen actually does have the strength to resist anyway um it's a it's a really the but the thing that i like most about mander allen um is this recurring theme he and Beric now become a major part of the comic relief for this series for me forever um and it's over and over again in fact there's a there the one of the one of the quotes that i read it i literally laughed out loud and my wife was like what are you talking about um and it was it was when they were going into Vomimbre and they were being they were trying to get into the into the keep, and the knight from on top says, "Sir Mandarell and the bastard, we have all heard a swarthy knight in black and emerald armor sneered, but who is the red bearded ape who so maligns his betters?" You're going to take that, Beric asked Mandarell. It's more or less true, Mandarellen admitted with a pained look, since there was some temporary irregularity of my birth, which still raises questions about my legitimacy. I, th- th- this moment, the bastard son, the the bastard baron of Vom- Vomandor, and Beric's always looking at him. Are you going to put up with that? Well, you know, you're going to need to get that changed. I've yeah. watched <laughs> you push. I've watched you punch people for a lot less. Ah, <laughs> uh, but alas, it is true. Um, and and this this interaction between the two of them really becomes they they start out really being very distasteful dissatisfied with each other not wanting to be around each other and i watch this relationship starting to become brothers in arms and they're really fun it's one it is absolutely one of my favorite parts of this entire series oh ben i am mandarell and bastard son and baron of omandor and beric you really need to stop saying that <laughs> I love a few lines after that when the guy calls Beric something, you know, red, your red furry ape or something like that. And then he says something about his beard and then he punches him in the face. Anyone else want to say anything about my beard? He knocks him off his horse <laughs> with a with one blow. Um, the, but the other thing about Mandarellen that's really interesting, uh, Mandarellen has that moment with Leldoran where he basically tells Leldoran that he's going to die. And it will be his fault that the entire party is overrun by Murgos trying to stop them from their pra- from their process if he doesn't just allow himself to be taken care of. And Gary and his reaction to him when he walks up and he says, why did you do that? And he looks at him and says, don't you understand? 
the boy his the boy's sense of honor is so strong that he would have stayed with us because that was what he needed to do i needed to make sure that i that i made him aware that his sense of honor was going to kill us so that his sense of honor could get him to go away from us mandarellen has an insight about people that nobody else in this group has everybody has their insight mandarellen's is very valuable and becomes valuable as they continue to go through. I just, I, but Mandarellen, he's my favorite. He's, he's my funny. favorite. He's very funny. Oh my goodness. I love him. He's a great character. And David Eddings' writing. This is one of the places where I really appreciate David Eddings' writing. David Eddings never stops writing Mandarellen as Mandarellen. He never switches speech. He never drops his speech. It's always the, the very formal these and thous in the midst of everybody else talking this regular kind of uh, colloquial speech. Mandarellen maintains this high level of speech, and David Eddings does a wonderful job of making sure that it stays, and that Mandarellen never notices it, never apologizes for it. It's just how he is. Greg, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to bring to the table? Uh, yeah, last one for me. Um, this is a really refreshing departure from the uh, from the very typical fantasy story, uh, which is the the wise old wizard takes the young apprentice and the rest of the company through the adventure, right? Uh, You remember the episode uh, when they're going to meet the Dryads, they get attacked by the Mud Men. Mm -hmm. um, And and how are we going to defeat them? And everybody's chopping their arms off, but they're made of mud. You know, what are you going to do? And so then... Polgara and Belgareth show up, and then uh, so That's right. so Belgareth thrusts one hand forward, palm up, fire. He commanded a sizzling bolt of lightning shoots up into the clouds, and it disturbs the clouds. And they all gather together, and and there's a huge thunderclap. And then Polgara raised her hand. Water, she said in a powerful voice. The clouds burst open. Rain fell so heavily that it seemed the air itself had turned to water, and basically they wash out the mudmen. Mm-hmm. Um, this and that just made me go, oh wow! Two magicians, two wise old wizards in this story, and they work so well together. Mm-hmm. Um, not not only in a magical way, but in a personality way, they mm-hmm. have a, a great interaction. So this that's my final thought. There's not a lot to go into this yet, but it's just nice. There are two wizards. It's a little bit of a departure, and you're not just counting on one person to get everything done all the time. And it makes it okay. It's one of those things that it makes it okay later on when Belgarath has to leave the group. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's, that's they'll, okay. they'll still be okay. It's fine. It's not like when Gandalf leaves the group and you're like, um, they should be okay. Yeah. But what are they going to do now? Yeah. Okay. Fly, you fools. So my last, my last little thing I want to bring up is based on relationships between people again. And it's specifically the relationship between Polgara and Garion. Love it, love it, yeah. love it. It is it. so good. When you get towards the end of this book, there is a scene where Garion finally lets everything that has troubled him, everything, he releases it all right at his aunt. In and front of everybody. In front of everybody. And calls, calls her a monster. You're not even human. How dare you? It's so... Mo- it's something that just about every human can recognize as having been on both sides of that sort of moment. Yep. And it makes, to me... To have such a powerful character as Polgara is, and such an interest and such an interesting character as Garion is, and to have the interaction right there be so raw and so human, and her response just it floored me. Like it's just I'm just going this 
that would be terrifying when they talk about Pogara's fury, you know, a sorcerer's fury and lightning and, and fire and everything there. Her fury in that moment to totally just dismantle Gary and, and out of love and frustration and everything, it was a moment that made me very much appreciate this series and the, the, these relationships matter. It's more mm-hmm. than just a, a group walking around. The relationships between these people are important, very. So, yep. Uh, well, are we wrapped up then, gentlemen? I think we're going to wrap it up. The next thing we're going to be, the next book in the series is uh, the Ma- Magician's Gambit. Yep. So uh, start reading that one, tackle that one. We're going to have, you're going to get to know a little bit how more about the orb and how it got stolen. And you're going to meet mm. more new characters because that never stops in this series. Nope. Not only uh, do you start reading Magician's Gambit, but you also order uh, volume two. Uh, because this is not in ebook form, unfortunately, for many of us, uh, this you, you've got to order it. And finding a copy in your local bookstore is going to be a little bit difficult. So hop on Amazon, order it. We're just about finished up with volume one, which includes books one through three. Um, we'll finish up book three in a couple weeks uh, and then move on to volume two, which is books four and five. Um, and while you're there on Amazon, you know. What? Oh, yeah, good point. What? Uh, yeah, by the way, um, it is, it's not in ebook form, but this is in audiobook form. You can get this on Audible. Uh, so, as we mentioned uh, up front at the front of the podcast, Audible is now a sponsor of ours. And so, we would appreciate your support if you uh, have not signed up for Audible yet. First of all, shame on you. It's a wonderful service. Uh, second of all, go onto our website before you go there. Click on the link at uh, the legendary com. You'll find the sponsor link at the bottom of every page. Uh, and click on that to go sign up for your one-month free membership. With that uh, one-month free, you do get uh, a single credit, and you can cash that in for one of these audiobooks to follow along with the podcast. Uh, so go check it out. Uh, before we take off, finally, for this week, I'll just uh, do a, a quick shout-out. We uh, wrapped up this month looking pretty good. We got uh, some great listenership uh, coming in this month. And so I just want to highlight our our new country of interest outside the U.S. A full 9.5% of our listening or of our downloads this month came from Germany. Uh, so hats off to you. Germany. I have no idea how to say that in German. Willkommen. Well, yeah, that Deutschland. Was, yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you, everybody. Obviously, everybody for tuning in. We appreciate. Don't you have to say that really loud and kind of angry? No. Only when I'm talking to you, Todd. Um, no, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, but it is always. It, uh, obviously, it's a ton of fun for us to see when uh, when obviously there are a, there's a pocket of people that are just downloading our podcast like crazy in Germany. It's awesome. I love stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, David Hasselhoff, we're coming to get you. We're the next big thing. Um, we will sign off. Uh, sorry that uh, there was no Ken. And so this was a far, far more intellectual podcast than you're used to. Uh, but don't worry. He'll, he'll come dumb things down again next time. I'm kidding, Ken. All right. Have a good week, you guys. Magician's Gambit coming up. The Legendarium Podcast is sponsored by Audible, the world's leading source of audiobooks. Follow along with our current series or enjoy some of the classics by visiting thelegendariumpodcast.com where you can sign up for your free trial membership. Click the sponsor link on our website for a free audiobook.